Hi, good morning, everyone, and welcome. This is Short Takes and Updates, a weekly sub-series of Seek Sustainable Japan. Welcome, nice to have you here. And once again, we have Tofa back with us, yay! <laughs> I'm JJ Walsh, your host here in Hiroshima, Japan, and today I am joined by... Hi, this is Shirley. <laughs> And? and I'm Tova. I'm in uh, Yokohama. It's great to have you guys both joining me once again uh, for some sustainable updates and short takes. Uh, I will start. Yesterday, I was part. I was one of the judges on the Japan Travel Awards, and uh, it was really fun to be part of the event. I know they're on their official website. They're gonna uh, show all the winners. But one of the big takeaways from this event was how transparency, accountability, clear communication to customers is so important for any business which is doing something better than business as usual. So I think in terms of sustainability, this is a clear message to all businesses and destinations in Japan, right? Very much so. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff going on, but we often don't get to hear about it. So it's nice to see awards like this highlighting. Absolutely. And uh, I don't think I'm giving too much away uh, by saying one of the standout winners uh, was the Fukushima Barrier Free Accessible Travel uh, Center there in Fukushima. And I'm showing the website here. Uh, you can see how good their English website is. Um, they have all the information very clearly laid out. Um, all the judges, I was one of many judges from across Japan in the tourism industry. Um, and all of us agreed that this was one of the real standout examples. Uh, barrier free, of course, is not just about people traveling who have disabilities. It helps everybody. For anyone who has had an injury and had to walk with a cane, uh, any mother who has to push a stroller around, you really appreciate when there are these barrier-free facilities and information. And it's really daunting to travel to a new area if you are not sure if mm. they do have or not, right? Yeah, very much so. Now, uh, Tova, you also had an example from this Fukushima area. Right. So the um, NHK has just released a short documentary um, called Fukushima Monologue 2. Um, so this is a follow-up to the first part that they did a little while back. Um, and this is the story of um, Matsumura Naoto, who... Um, was I, I believe a construction worker um, in Fukushima when the 3.11 earthquake and, and nuclear meltdown happened. Um, and he stayed behind and looked after um, animals that were abandoned there when people had to leave, when they were evacuated. Um, and he stayed on and is now um, trying to to, to regenerate the, the local area. So he, he's um, planting rice fields and, and planting, uh, he's done a lot of clearing to get rid of the um, contaminated soil. Um, but he's also um, talking to uh, sort of 
people outside the, the local area as well to, to look at ideas for regenerating um, the local area because, of course, it was absolutely decimated. The whole community is just you know, been people left, many didn't go back. Um, and mm -hmm. those who did go back, what what is there left now? So, um, and I was speaking to Adam Fulford of Fulford Enterprises um, recently. And so Adam's company does all the, the subtitles for this. And so he spent a lot of time talking to um, Matsumura-san and, and uh, you know, hearing more about the story and said that, you know, he, he really is keen to try and um, build up more of this area to attract people back to the area, whether that's individuals for for tourism, for breaks, whether that's sort of small businesses or corporates who want to be involved in the, the regeneration. Um, so I would highly recommend watching this and hearing about the story. It's very, very emotional, but also very, very inspiring. Um, and to think about, I think Corporates, particularly, Adam is very keen um, to to look at how corporates can get involved here, um, and the benefits that flow both ways for for company employees and companies themselves being involved in regenerating areas like this, um, and how you know employees can be in, you know, really getting engaged again with the work they do, how there are lots of transferable skills, they can be learning new skills, learning new things they bring back into the organization. Um, so uh, the, there's a lot of potential there. So I would highly recommend watching this. And uh, if you have ideas, reach out to us, reach out to Adam Fulford at Fulford Enterprises. Um, and uh, let's think about what we can do there. Yeah, great. Um, anything to do with rural revitalization, I think, is so important mm -hmm. in Japan. Uh, I'll be going to the Minka Summit at the end of next month. That's all about not only renovating old houses and having that better quality of life to have that rural transition, but it's all—it's also about keeping quite a lot of Japan alive. You know, mm -hmm. like if these areas, uh, if everybody moves out and the houses fall down, there's no farming. Um, the landscape changes as well, right? And then you're you're losing a lot of appeal for Japan travel and Japan life in general, because even if you're living in the city, you still want to have nice places to go and escape from the city every now and again too, right? Um, there's so many great uh, knock-on effects of rural revitalization for sure. Absolutely, yeah. I had a good uh, discussion with Tom uh, Colton about that. He moved from London to Tokyo uh, to a very remote island area in Hiroshima called Mitarai. And we're actually doing a beach cleanup on the third Sunday this month uh, at a beach near his place. And then we're going to go explore his town and eat some of his beautiful, famous scones. Uh, that he makes at a cafe there. Um, so, you know, really interesting to think about, like, what appeals to people to move out to the rural areas. Um, so we were, both of us were on this uh, discussion for the Setouchi area as well, um, how to appeal to new residents. So it's not only about visitors, but getting new residents to an area is also really important, right? Yeah, yeah. As a... Um, yeah, go ahead. I have something to say about this, like about the question that you said, how do you appeal to residents to move to rural areas? And I think one of the bigger reasons would also be fluency in Japanese. Mm. That's something that's 
probably very much required, don't you think? I, mean, I don't know. Even if you speak Japanese, I was reading a really funny part of uh, Lost Japan from Alex Kerr because I'm getting ready for another great talk with him next week. Um, but in the book, he talks about finding this beautiful area of Shikoku where he ended up buying a house and renovating, right? And he, even after years of knowing Japanese and having quite good proficiency, he brought a guy from Tokyo with him because he was having trouble understanding the local dialect. And after hours of talking with locals about the house and everything, he's like, I don't really get it, but I'm glad this guy is here. And then as they're leaving, his friend turns to him and says, I didn't know what the heck they were talking about. Did you get it? <laughs> and he's like, what? So you, oh. in like local rural areas, they have like a language and culture of their own. Right. Kind of so and that's a wonderful thing, but it's yeah. also a challenge. Yeah. That's an added challenge. Wow. Um, but it's, you know, this is what Tom says as well, right? It's about making those local connections. And it's not, it's not just about clear communication. It's about just hanging around, meeting the right people, uh, showing in action how you're going to be a good part of the community, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, do you help people, you know, pick up litter from the local beaches, for example, like we're going to do? Or um, do you, you know, positively contribute to the local community? Uh, he said they were there renting for three years before the community people were happy with him buying a place. So there's that as well, right? You're not just going from the city and buying something and pushing into the community right away. The community sometimes is really resistant to change, right? Anyway, very interesting. Now, a total switch in conversation. Have you guys noticed all the beautiful, beautiful flowers recently? Now, yeah. I am just astounded by this tree uh, on my walk yesterday is absolutely stunning, but I don't know. Is it sakura? Is it ume? Is it another kind of flower? But the smell just hit me first. Like it's really, really sweet smelling. So, of course, I go to my resource, which is my Twitter feed, and I ask people, and somebody shared this beautiful illustration uh, where you can tell the difference between sakura, which is on the left uh, illustration, the middle is ume, the plum blossom, and the right side is the peach blossom, the momo. And so I was able to figure out it's momo, it's peach that I was, mm -hmm. I was seeing. It has a short stem. Uh, the ume blossom doesn't have a stem. The blossoms are grown right on the, the branch. And then the sakura has a longer stem. And I thought, what a great illustration. That was very useful. So I wanted to share that today. <laughs> that's really helpful because it's it's everywhere around us at the moment it's so beautiful but yeah i think it just gets lumped as sakura and everyone thinks it's just that but there's yeah. a lot more going on mm. definitely and most like sakura and ume you notice maybe a very mild smell mm. um, but the peach has a very strong very sweet smell 
And I know, Tova, you're suffering from allergies now, so maybe you're not smelling so much. <laughs> um, but I really noticed it. It was kind of like, you know, when you walk down the shopping street, you smell there's a Lush store. Yeah. Like you can smell it before you can see it. It was kind of like that. It's like, what is that smell? Oh my gosh, that tree is beautiful, you know? <laughs> Did they, they all have different seasons too, right? They are not at the same time. So well, they're Umi blossom first. Mm. Uh, we have Umi in our garden. We have a white Umi. I know there's different kinds. Um, and then peach is happening right now, which oh. is next. And then Sakura is going to happen in like a week's time. So it, it is slightly different, but they're mm. all spring blossoms, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think climate change is also uh, sort of influencing as well we're seeing earlier and earlier right and um and i think when we had warm weather very early on in the year then a lot of trees were looking like they were going to do something at that point and then it suddenly got cold again so yeah it's uh confusing for the plants this this yeah. changing weather definitely mm -hmm. now we have a big announcement uh we've been gearing up uh to do an event which empowers women and next Monday, uh, the 21st, which is a national holiday in Japan, uh, for two hours, special two hours special, uh, we're going to have four amazing speakers, Angela Ortiz, Ruth Marie Jarman, Noriko Shindo, and Trista Bridges in a Women to Inspire a Sustainable Japan. Uh, Shirley, do you want to introduce Noriko? Yes, definitely. So yeah, I'd like to introduce Noriko, who's the co-founder of Ecolocal. And she also has a lot of corporate experience in her belt with working in Amazon. And she is a social entrepreneur. She also has a strong background in sales and consulting. And uh, she has really amazing communication skills. But recently she's been, she's moving from, um, corporate to more like working towards sustainability and founding Ecolocal. And Ecolocal is more like a um, website or an app which helps to discover eco-friendly stores near you. And they, and I think JJ mentioned that she also has recently started working with uh, recipes, which is also really interesting. And I'm gonna check that ASAP. And we are very excited to have her and talk more about sustainability, especially sustainability in Japan and how you can move towards like more eco-friendly way of managing your life. So really excited to have her. She, she has a lot of great insights and showing in action how to live a more sustainable life. So a lot of vegan plant-based cooking ideas and workshops, um, Echo Shop Along, where they were doing zero-waste shopping tours around Tokyo, uh, working out with the businesses beforehand uh, to offer things without packaging. So a lot of grassroots, uh, very young enthusiasm, coming from Noriko Shindo's site. So really excited to hear what she's going to bring to the discussion on Monday. Uh, Tova, do you want to introduce about Angela? Right. Okay. So um, Angela Ortiz, um, I'm sure is a familiar name to many. Um, so Angela has a really diverse portfolio, actually, but a lot of it sustainability related. So she's held um, positions as CSR managers at both H&M and uh, Adidas in Japan. 
Um, she also has experienced, she, after the 311 earthquake, she and her family founded um, a, a very much grassroots MPO. At the time it was called OGA for Aid and that developed into Place to Grow. Um, where they worked really, really closely with communities that were completely decimated by um, the earthquake um, back in 311 and, and really developing young leaders, um, which is something Angela is very, very passionate about, sort of creating a, a future, but empowering the people themselves, the local people to to grow and you know re um, regenerate their community. So rather than just sort of coming in from the outside and saying, "Oh, we can help you fix this," it was really about empowering them to do that um, and rediscovering their strengths and their their abilities as leaders. And it's been amazing to see that that flourish um, in recent years. I'm sure she'll have some brilliant stories. Um, from that. But uh, more recently, having left corporate life, um, she is, uh, well, she's founded her own uh, consultancy now uh, called Stratacist Consulting. Um, and she's working with companies on the, the sustainability um, messaging strategy and, and marketing side of things. Um, she's got a lot of experience of that from her, her days at H&M and Adidas. And so is able to um, you know, give a lot of value there. But also um, she has written a book on social impact as well. So she's also working with social impact uh, entrepreneurs who who want to build what they're doing um, and scale their own impact. So she's helping them with that as well. So lots of great stuff to talk about with Angela. Yeah, awesome. And uh, Ruth Jarman, uh, Ruth Marie Jarman is one of the other speakers and Ruth, is my sister, so I better get this right. <laughs> uh, she she works for she's had a really long, uh, interesting career in a big corporate in Japan, but also worked as an entrepreneur, translator, interpreter for a long time. Um, she interpreted for Venus Williams, and uh, you know a lot of big names over the years. She's been a TV personality. She's appeared on uh, NHK programs about learning Japanese. Uh, also, like wide shows about Japanese culture. She wrote seven books in Japanese uh, about Japanese culture and Japanese society and trying to encourage people um, to appreciate the good things about their own society and, and to see a better way forward. Um, she has so many great insights for women in business in Japan and also in the tourism industry. Uh, she works a lot with with her company, Jarman International. So it'll be really interesting to see how her insights uh, with these other three speakers, uh, how she can add to the conversations. Um, it's so great having sport four speakers with such diverse points of view and backgrounds and insights and skills. Isn't that going to be exciting? It's great. And of course, our fourth speaker is um, Trista Bridges, who is the founder or co-founder of um, Read the Air, which is a, a sustainability consultancy based in Tokyo. Um, she works together with Donald Eubank, her co-founder there. So Trista's background is um, she's from the US <clears throat> originally, but has um, also worked in uh, Europe a lot and still works very closely um, on projects there. She's got a really strong background in strategy implementation. So she's 
um, and she and Donald with their company are working uh, with a lot of companies on embedding sustainability into strategy, into the processes, helping companies understand what do they need to measure, how do they measure that. Um, and also they, uh, she and Donald uh, co-authored a book called Leading Sustainably, which was released last year, I think, um, which uh, is a, yeah, a great book for anybody interested in sustainability and leadership and how those things come together. Um, they've got some really clear frameworks and wonderful examples in that. So Trista always, again, brings such value to conversations. So really looking forward to having her on board too. Yeah, it'd be great to have that. And two hours does not seem like quite enough, although it's much longer than our 30 minutes and longer than my hour interviews usually. Um, Shirley, can you give us a little like overview of the first hour, second hour that we're going to try to target? Definitely. So we have a really well-planned action-packed event. <laughs> and uh, yeah, let me just explain about like in brief what we are going to do in the first hour so we're going to have short introduction of speakers what they do their job for about the first 15 minutes and then have a project to introduce as an example of sustainability how it empowers communities and how does it actually generate income because we Everybody here, especially the ones who are uh, speaking in this event, are really passionate about sustainability, but we have to also make a living out of it. So how do you also make necessary income along with working in this field? And then uh, we would also talk like to talk about women to watch and read, like women-led sustainability recommendations, and it could be in Japan or outside Japan. And the next hour would be a discussion of bigger issues for women working in sustainability, like for example, climate change and ideas, um, how we can implement it in our daily life. We would also like to speak a little bit about gender equity at work, because that that is something uh, we are facing right now in Japan, uh, especially team building, equal pay, gaining respect, asking for promotions, and key to finding the work-life balance. And then we would also like to talk a little bit about sustainable opportunities that we can volunteer in, we can uh, put forward our contributions for, and also recommendations for women-led sustainable businesses that we can support. If there are, if there are any great books or podcasts or movies or any other resources. So really looking forward to this Monday. Ah, should be great. Uh, Tova, let's switch gears to one of the topics from today. Uh, mm -hmm. You wanted to talk about self-care. I thought that was a really great insight there. Yeah, well, it's interesting because Shirley was just talking there about sort of work-life balance um, as one of the things we want to touch upon. And it's something we, we've talked about a bit in these sessions before. Um, but this article um, from The Beautiful Truth, which shares some really interesting um, opinion pieces, um, was talking about self-care, but how the, the focus is very often on individuals and saying, okay, well, if somebody's experiencing burnout or stress or whatever at work, what do they need to do as individuals? And there's been huge focus, um, particularly since the pandemic began on, you know, 
balancing your your work and uh, home life on making sure you're getting out and exercising on you know mental health making sure you're you know having opportunities to communicate with others you're not feeling isolated so there's a lot of almost pressure on individuals to say, you know, step up, sort yourselves out. Um, and the, the author in this article talks about the fact that what we really need to be doing is looking at the organizational culture. So this is very much connected to the work I do every day um, because this this pressure to to be on the whole time, to be answering emails at you know all hours of the the day and night, and um, to sort of never have a chance to switch off. This comes from the corporate culture. The co the culture enables it. Um, the culture very often um, promotes it as well, and it's seen as a good thing to be always available and um, always you know responding quickly. But that comes at a cost. Um, so I thought this was a really insightful article um, on how cult companies, uh, well, any organization, not just companies, organizations need to take the responsibility here to say, actually, when we see people suffering burnout, of course, the first action needs to be like with any crisis, you know, what can we do to help the people here and now on the ground? But then you need to step back and look at the, the, the ecosystem that that person is working within and say what's going wrong here what is causing this what are the root issues and how as an organization do we need to address that is it how we're communicating how we're you know valuing um contributions and and our colleagues is it um you know the the systems and processes we're using that are not um no longer sort of fit for for purpose and i think that is a really really helpful um insight for companies who tend to just go straight to fix the people. I mean, we see this with gender equality, right? It's like fix the women and it's, well, well actually, <laughs> we need to look at the whole system that the women are working in and what is, you know, helpful, what is not, and, and look at addressing the systemic issues, not just um, the individuals. So would highly recommend reading this. It looks fascinating. And Shirley and I were talking about marginalization last week, right? Mm -hmm. And how uh, if you target initiatives on improvement only on small parts of your company or organization or community, it's not going to be as effective as if you try to raise the quality of living or quality of work yeah. experience for everyone. And then that really pulls everyone up. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that very similar to what you're talking about here, right? Very much so, very much so. Yeah. Uh, Tova, you also had an interesting, we have just a few minutes, uh, interesting book recommendation. Right. Well, this is one I've been waiting um, eagerly to, to share. I wanted to wait until it was published, which happened last week. Um, so the book is Thriving, the Breakthrough Movement to Regenerate Nature, Society and the Economy. Um, and it's by Dr. Wayne Visser, who is a fascinating guy. I was fortunate enough to have Dr. Visser as my tutor when I did the sustainability program at Cambridge some years back. Um, and he is, he's from South Africa originally, um, and he's worked in sustainability for decades now. So he's really seen this whole movement come up and he looks very closely at 
the whole system level. So he's not looking at just climate or just equality or whatever it is. He's really looking at how all these things interconnect um, and how, uh, I mean, as he said, there, there are innovations out there. So it's, he, he calls himself a possibilist, which I think is a wonderful word. Um, and in the book, he, he looks very um, deeply at the, the concepts behind, you know, why are these problems happening? Um, he, he's got solid data, it's very well researched. And so there's, there's plenty of solid stuff there. But he also brings in the emotional side and the human side to this as to what is holding us back and, and what are the, um, you know, the potential ways forward here? What can we do? Um, and so it's a really, really fascinating read. Um, and it's also got some very, very practical frameworks for, um, you know, ways that organizations can move from just doing the minimum. He talks about sustainability as just being surviving and survival mode. And he said, that's not very attractive as a concept to move, to try and move towards. We need to go way beyond that threat to thrive. Um, and he talks about how species are basically hardwired to thrive if they can and it's how we understand that and tap into it and so he's got some very helpful frameworks in the book um, and we're hopefully going to be bringing Dr. Visa to Japan uh, perhaps later this year if not early next year um, to do workshops based around this so uh, watch this space I'd be very excited about that. Yeah, that sounds great. And that's, it's so true, isn't it? That you, uh, one of the things that I often recommend as well is to think about sustainability as something like breathing, something yeah. you always have to think about. Um, you have to embed it as your part of your DNA in order for you really to, to make it work. Mm -hmm. uh, not only something you do at work, something you only do at nine to five. No, it has to become part of who you are, your yeah. personal brand. And it, it sounds like they're very similar uh, ideas coming from this thriving. Yeah. Um, we all want to have the most success in the future. So it really takes a mindset shift, it right? It does. It does. Yeah. And I like the fact that he, he doesn't sugarcoat anything and, and you know, it's not um, sort of uh, just blind optimism um and yep we can sort it all out we have technology great he actually says no here's how we can do it and lays that out very clearly um but also taps into that emotional side so each chapter ends with a poem he he writes poems i don't know how he has time to do anything to be honest he, he's a very busy guy but the poems themselves as well so you read all the data the facts the examples the case study and then you read this poem and it just goes boom here and you think oh yeah that that's going to make me stop and think yeah, awesome. Um, I'm just, I've put the links uh, to the articles that you've mentioned in the chat. I'm also adding the Women to Inspire a Sustainable Future, uh, our event next Monday. And I think that is all for today. Thank you, everybody, for joining. And definitely uh, join us on Monday and uh, add your comments and questions along the way. I think we're going to hear so many great insights and key points from all these amazing speakers. Really looking forward to it. And me, Shirley, and Tova will just be kind of helping in the background. But these four amazing speakers will really be at the foreground 
and uh, really excited to hear their points of view. Brilliant. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much, Shirley and Tova. Thanks, everyone, for joining. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Drop the armor, now I'm bolder.